are y'all doing? Good, good. Well, it's such a, really is a joy and an honor to be here this morning. I want to just thank Tim and the pastor elders for just the opportunity to preach God's word this morning and uh, really just for entrusting uh, this time to me. Uh, if you're in the Connect Hour, I'm going to just do a brief introduction in case you weren't able to join in the Connect Hour. But my name is Mike Sadich. I'm here with my family, my wife Casey, and our three kids, Kaden, Emery, and Mariah. Uh, we have, since 2017, have been serving in the country of Indonesia uh, with the International Mission Board. And uh, we're here in the States for a couple more months and are just really enjoying just connecting to churches, visiting with uh, our partnering churches, and having opportunities just uh, to speak about what God's doing on the other side of the world. And uh, as we get started this morning, uh, I just want you all to know kind of where we're heading, what I'm aiming for. As you'll probably notice on the slide behind me, it's no surprise or secret, we're going to be talking about the Great Commission. And so my hope for us this morning is that all of us collectively will better understand really the vastness of lostness that exists throughout our world, that we'll understand how Christ has called each one of us to respond to this lostness, And then I want to end by giving us some just very practical ways that we can apply the scriptures so that everyone is involved in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. So on the screen behind me, uh, if you know what the first number on that screen might represent, 7.6 plus billion, just shout it out. What do you think that number might represent? The global population, right? A little fun fact, in the year 1900, the global population was 1.7 billion. So in the last 120 years, we've more than quadrupled the global population. What about the second number? 2.4 billion, maybe not as clear. Yes, yeah, the number of people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ in our world, 2.4 billion. So if we just do some simple math, the, the, the remaining number represents the lost people in our world. 5.2 billion people lost throughout the globe. Furthermore, every single day, 154,937 people die and they enter into a Christless eternity. Every day, church. So just to put that in, into perspective, I know that this number could be debated. Probably there's a lot of different opinions, in, even in this room. But in the last six months in the United States, it's been reported that the coronavirus has taken about 161,000 lives. Six months. So just to put that into perspective, every single day, that equivalent number of people are perishing and entering into a Christless eternity. So as believers, we must ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible have to say about this reality? And how has Jesus specifically called us as the church, as followers of him, to respond? But before we answer those questions, I just want to take a minute just to pray for us. Right? These, are, these are overwhelming numbers. I mean, 5.2 billion, 154,000 every single day. So let's just, let's just pray and ask the Spirit to just give us ears to hear this morning and, and ask that he would lead each and every one of us to a proper and a, and a biblical response. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh God, if we're just honest, we just recognize that, that these numbers are overwhelming. And it seems like us individually, really, we, we feel like we just really can't do anything to have an impact to see 5.2 billion people reach, or at least having an opportunity to hear and to respond 
to the gospel. And so, Holy Spirit, would you this morning, would you open our eyes to see how we can be more involved if we're already involved? And for those who aren't involved, begin to be involved in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, would you, before we leave this morning, just lead every person in this room to knowing more fully, more clearly how they can join with you and seeing your vision fulfilled. God, we pray this ultimately for your glory and for the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of you in the room probably know, just about any organization or institution of any size, small, medium, or large, they have a vision and a mission, right? The vision and the mission of the company are typically captured in what are known as vision and mission statements, But if I'm just being honest, for many years, even though my background was in the business sector, for many years, I really struggled to understand what the difference between vision and mission were. Honestly, it seems like a lot of organizations use those two terms interchangeably. So so what is the difference between a vision and a mission statement? Well, a vision statement is a desired outcome, right? It's what an organization or an institution is aiming to achieve or become in the future. So it's future focused. Whereas A mission statement is what actually drives a company or organization. It answers questions like, what are we doing, right? Who are we serving and how are we going to serve them? See, the purpose of a mission statement is to outline how this desired vision or outcome will become a reality. All right, so let's look at just one very practical example. You'll see on the screen behind me. So this is a company that everybody in the room is probably familiar with. It's the company Lowe's Home Improvement, right? And I'll explain why why we're going to use them as an example in a minute. But Lowe's, if you were to Google their vision and mission statement, this is what you'd find. So first, their vision. They say, we will provide customer-valued solutions with the best prices, products, and services to make Lowe's the first choice for home improvement. So that's their vision. When you think about home improvement, they want you to think of Lowe's first. So that's their desired outcome, what they're aiming for. Okay, so this begs the question. How are they going to fulfill this stated vision by becoming your first choice for home improvements? Well, herein lies the mission where they say together deliver the right home improvement products with the best service and value across every channel and community we serve. So here in this Lowe's example, it helps us to see clearly how this vision and mission statement serve to work together. You see, Lowe's, in their mind, will become your first choice in home improvement if they deliver the right products, the best service, and the best value across every channel and community that they serve. So we see the connection there between the vision and the mission. Okay, so you might be asking the question, so what's, what's the point of all this, right? Why are we talking about Lowe's and mission and vision statements this morning at church? Well, there's really a two-part answer to that question this morning. Why is it helpful for us to understand vision, and mission? Well, the first part of the answer comes from Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where Solomon, the wisest man to ever live on the earth, he says this, he says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Or another translation says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So where there is no vision, the people perish. So it's helpful for us to understand this Hebrew word perish, how it's used. So the word in this biblical proverb is used in a sense where a woman's hair is let out of her head covering. So as you can imagine, unconstrained in the wind, her hair is blown directionless, right? It's blown in every direction. So therefore, what the proverb is saying is without a vision, 
We too, we're blown in all types of directions. We're without focus, without a goal, without a target. In a sense, we will perish. And this is the reason why nearly every organization has a vision and a mission. So that they can communicate to their employees or to their members what they're aiming for and how they're going to get there. Right? You see, visions and missions, they drive, or at least they should drive everything a corporation does. And without a vision, the company will eventually perish, right? It will cease to exist. We see this happen all the time, right? Employees, if they don't see the purpose of their job, if they don't feel like they have a reason to be there, they're going to quit their job, right? If it's a public company, their stock prices will plummet. And eventually, what happens? They go out of business, But sadly, this doesn't only happen in the corporate world, right? In the business sector. This happens in churches as well. In our very own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, between the years 2017 and 2018, 88 churches closed their door. Why? We must ask the question. Probably many of them, they lost their vision. They lost their sense of mission. And because of that, that church ceased to exist. So again, I ask the question, what's the point of all this, right? Why have, why have we spent so much time trying to understand the importance of vision and mission? Well, and herein lies the second part of that answer, where we're going to focus really the bulk of our time this morning. You see, there is this biblical, there's this heavenly vision that we have in the scripture. And this is, this is far more important than any vision or mission of any company or organization that's ever existed on the face of this earth, because this is the Lord's vision, right? The Lord's vision that one day with 100% certainty will be fulfilled and accomplished. So we must know what this vision is and we must know the connected mission, right? The connected mission, the means by which this vision is going to become a reality. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to keep both of these things ever before us. We must keep the vision before us and the connected mission. For without a vision, we won't know what we're aiming for. Right? And without a mission, we won't know how we're going to get there. Right? So what is this heavenly vision? Right? It should be on the screen behind me, or you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. So this is the Lord's vision given to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, where he writes, A great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, They're standing before the throne and before the lamb. They're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hand. And they're crying out with a loud voice, it says. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. See, this is the vision, church. People from all over the world, every nation and tribe and people and language, they will gather around the throne of Lord Jesus and they will worship him. Right? In order to see this vision become a reality, this is the incredible, the, the mind-blowing part for us, right? The Lord Jesus, he has called you, right? He's called me to be a very part of the means by which he will fulfill his vision. No, not because he needs us, but because he desires to use us. Okay, so that's the vision, right? So then what's the connected mission? How's this vision going to become a reality? Well, we find the answer to that question in what are known as the five great commission passages that are in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Okay, so typically, when we hear that phrase, a great commission, just shout it out. What's the first passage that might come to your mind? 
Matthew 28, right? Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples, right? We've heard that a million times in the church, right? And it's, it's probably because it's the most complete or the most full of the Great Commission passages. But in fact, there are, there are five Great Commission passages in the New Testament and in the book of Acts. And so what I want us to do is I want to consider what the, what the New Testament has to say holistically or systematically about the Great Commission. And then I want to kind of boil that down into one concise statement, and then we're going to break that down for a few minutes. So let's just look at these quickly one by one. They should be on the screen. They're all on there, not one by one, but all five right there. So first one, Mark 16, 15 to 16. Jesus said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, 46 to 47. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be what? It should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father sent me, so now I am sending you. Acts 1, 8. But you, believer, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you'll be my what? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And finally, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so again, let's try to capture everything that's contained in these five collective statements. And let's make one kind of biblical summary of the Great Commission. Should be on the screen. This is my best attempt. So as the Father sent the Son, so now the Son sends us, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything, all that Jesus has commanded. And here is the result of that, right? Whoever repents and believes will receive forgiveness of sins. But those who do not will be condemned. So I think with this summary statement, we need to ask a few questions and answer them this morning. The first question is, who is Jesus talking to? Right? Who is Jesus sending? Right? Some might argue, well, this seems to be like he's most often talking to the apostles. So is this the apostles' job? Jesus is saying to the apostles, go and make disciples. Another argument might be based on Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, maybe Ephesians 4. These are all passages about spiritual gifts. And in in this category, we have this person that's identified as an evangelist, somebody that's kind of uniquely gifted as an evangelist. So is Jesus talking to, to those type of people? Or could it be a different option? Well, let's look what the Scriptures have to say. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter is writing to the dispersion. So he's writing to believers that have been dispersed. This is what he writes about them. He says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That, right, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so yes, we know biblically, theologically, we are saved ultimately for the glory of God. Peter's writing, that's true. But he's also saying, you're saved so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Christ. 
right? The one who's transferred you out of darkness and transferred you into his marvelous light. If you're still not convinced, let's look at what Acts 8 and 11 have to say. There's this incredible narrative that happens, very convincing argument for who Jesus is talking to in the Great Commission. Many of you might remember this story that's happening. So Stephen, he's stoned because of his faith in Christ, of proclaiming the gospel. And because of that, persecution breaks out. So we're told at that moment, all of the believers, except for the apostles, they scatter. They leave Jerusalem. And in Acts 8.4, it tells us what these believers are doing as they scatter. Acts 8.4 tells us that they went about preaching the word. Okay, so these aren't the apostles. These aren't uniquely gifted evangelists. These are just ordinary believers like you and me. As they go, they're going about preaching the gospel. So then this story takes a pause in chapters 9 and 10. It picks up in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. In 19 to 21, we read, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. These are non-Jews. And what did they do? They preached the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And the scriptures say a great, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now we know historically that from, from these ordinary believers going out and proclaiming the gospel, this is where the church of Antioch was actually planted. So the apostles didn't plant the church of Antioch. Some common ordinary believer like you and me went and faithfully preached the gospel. The church of Antioch is planted who will then send out the first missionaries and continue to send out missionaries throughout history. And so the biblical norm or the pattern that we see in scripture, right? Beginning in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit descends upon the believers, we see that those who were called out by God, those who were saved, those who were called are sent, right? So if you are a saved one, then you are a sent one. And we'll talk about a little bit more what that means here in a little bit. So to answer the question very directly, who is Jesus sending? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's sending you. He's sending me to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him who transferred you, called you out of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, so if that's the who, then what about the what? What is Jesus calling us or commanding us to do in the Great Commission? Right? Jesus is, this is a command. This is an imperative in Matthew 28. Right? Make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That seems like a pretty big task, right? It's here in the original language in the Greek that there is actually only one imperative or one command in this passage. Even though in the English translation, it appears that we have four, four verbs or commands, right? Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That seems like four commands, right? But in the Greek, there's actually only one imperative. And that imperative is make disciples, there's one command of Jesus in this passage, that's to make disciples. The other three, the going and the baptizing and the teaching, that is what we're to be about doing as we go about making disciples. So we must ask the question, well, what's, what's the first step of making a disciple? You might say, well, we'll pray. That's, that's a good first step. But we must proclaim the gospel, right? We must proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it. We must proclaim the miraculous birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the burial, the triumphant resurrection, and the promised return of Christ. Because this is the, the, the core tenets or the core components of the gospel. And in Romans 10, verse 14, Paul tells us this. 
How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Right? These are rhetorical questions. It can't happen, right? Nobody can believe in something that they've never heard. And nobody can hear something that somebody's never told them, right? So the reality is, is that no one will believe apart from hearing and having an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And so that, that leads us to know that we must be proclaimers of this good news. And honestly, a lot of times when we read the scriptures, sometimes we read commands as, as being burdensome, right? Go and make disciples. Oh, man, feels like a big, heavy burden, right? But if we read the rest of what Jesus has to say in Matthew 28, there's a lot of comfort and encouragement for us here. Right? In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he's sending us out in his authority. Right? We're not going out in our own authority. We're not going out because we have eloquent speech. But we're actually being sent out in the authority of Jesus. Two verses later, in verse 20, he says that I will be with you until the end of the age. Okay, so in these Uh, three short verses, we have two assurances. We have two promises, right? We have the authority of Christ and we have his presence promised to us. And these should serve as a great source of encouragement to us, church. Jesus doesn't just give us a command and leave us to ourselves, but he's saying, no, go out in my authority. Go out and, and I'll be with you. You're never alone in this task. What about the next question? So where is Jesus calling us to make disciples? Matthew 28, to all the nations? Mark 16, into all the world? Wow, it's a big job. And it's here that we clearly see Jesus isn't calling an individual person. He's not calling a a small group of people because they can't possibly fulfill or accomplish this mission on their own. It takes the collective effort of every believer who's lived in every age. And we know since Christ has not yet returned that the work is not yet finished. Matthew 24, 14 tells us, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then what happens? And then the end will come. Jesus has not yet returned, and so we know that this work is not yet finished. And so this morning, we've considered the importance of vision and mission, right? More importantly, we've learned about God's vision and mission, and then we've broken down each aspect of that mission and how God really invites us, really calls us to be a part of this as believers. So we must ask ourselves the question this morning, how is the Lord calling each one of us individually, you, me, our families, to be a part of actively seeing the Great Commission be fulfilled. Again, how is the Lord calling you? How is the Lord calling me? How is the Lord calling our families, our churches to be a part of actively participating in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled? It's really not uncommon in a sermon about the Great Commission or missions to have three very practical application points. And so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel this morning. I'm just going to use those three practical application points. The ways that you can actively participate in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled is that you can pray that you can give and you can go. So I want to break um, all three of those down here in just a minute. But honestly, for whatever reason, when we're presented with these three, uh, pray, give, go, we see them as options, 
What I mean is one might say, well, I'll actively participate in the Great Commission by praying. Another person might say, well, I'll actively participate in the Great Commission by giving. And a third might say, well, I'll go. Maybe for a summer, maybe for a couple years, or even a lifetime. But what I want us to see this morning is that, that these three responses really fall short of what the New Testament, what the Bible calls us to as believers. You see, these aren't three options, but we need a fourth option. We need a D, right, on the, on the old Scantron test of all of the above, right? So every believer is called to pray so that the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. Every believer is called to give so that, that, so that people can be sent out and supported and so that the gospel can get to the ends of the earth. And every believer in some way, shape, or form is called to go. So let's break these down real quick. Pray. So what can we learn from the commands to pray and or the specific requests that we see for prayer in the New Testament? Well, I think that a, a safe starting point is to read the words of Jesus, right? What does Jesus have to say about praying? In Matthew 9, 37 to 38, Jesus says there's this reality. The harvest is plentiful, but there's also another reality. The laborers are few. And then he tells us, how do we respond to these two realities? He says, therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. So the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. What do we do? We pray. We pray that the Lord would raise people up and send them out. What can we learn from the writings of Paul? Colossians 4, 2 to 4. Paul again commands us here. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us. So now he's requesting prayer for him and his missionary teams. He says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And then that he may make it clear, which is how he ought to speak. Second Thessalonians chapter three, Paul writes these words. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Again, he's unapologetically asking for prayer. He says, pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored. Ephesians 6, 18 to 19, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Here's his request that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So it's clear from these verses that Jesus commands us to pray. He commands us to pray. Paul demonstrates that he routinely, that he unapologetically asks believers to pray for him and for his ministry. And all of us, Every one of us that are believers in Christ, we can and we should be a part of praying that the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. The 5.2 billion, many or most of them, never having an opportunity to hear or to respond. So our family this morning, like Paul, we want to unapologetically, we want to invite you to be a part of the work that God has called our family to be of in Indonesia by fervently and earnestly praying for us and for the work there. And so a couple of, way, a couple of things that we've done to try to help in that is uh, I usually don't preach in a T-shirt. My wife always gives me a hard time for wearing this T-shirt. Uh, but we had some T-shirts made. Uh, they're over here at the table uh, after the service. Uh, but the idea behind the T-shirt isn't a fundraiser. It's, it's to raise prayer awareness. Typically, we, we don't pray for things that we don't think about. Uh, but if you have a T-shirt that you put on, you look down and see the nation of Indonesia, on your shirt, we just invite you to, to take a moment to pray. And so it just says reaching the edge together. So the edge is kind of identifying the, the ends of the earth. 
And then on the back of the shirt, it just says Doakan Jogja, which is just pray for Jogja in the Indonesian language. And so we're selling those for $10. So if that would be a help to you or you want to uh, get a T-shirt, uh, you can grab one of those at the end of the service. Uh, like I said, it's not a fundraiser, but any proceeds that we do make, uh, that money will go directly into our ministry budget. Uh, so you can also support the work that we're doing in Indonesia. Uh, we also have prayer cards over there that you can put on your refrigerator. Uh, and if the Lord would, would lead you to specifically join in uh, and partnering with us and praying for us, uh, we just ask that you let us know that. Uh, we have a little notebook over here. You can sign up. Uh, I know some of you, probably many of you already get our newsletters from the time that we were here a few years ago. Uh, but if you want to get our monthly newsletter when we're on the field, you can also sign up for that as well. So that's the, the prayer application point. But what about giving? So let's, let's consider a couple of texts where Paul specifically mentions how churches have partnered with him of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? So Philippians 4, 14 to 16, Paul writes this. He says, it's kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. To the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this in uh, chapter 11, verse 9. And when I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my need. And so we know that this isn't always the case, right? We know that sometimes Paul went in as a tent maker, that he worked with his hands and he did ministry. But we also see this biblical reality that the church is partnering with Paul to support him, to provide for his needs so that he can do what? So that he can devote 100% of his time to getting the gospel to the unreached. And so that's the principle that we see here. And so thankfully, we're part of a, a, a convention of 47,000 churches, Southern Baptist churches that are doing just that, that are collectively supporting about 3,700 missionaries that are sent out by the IMB. And so if you are already giving here at First Baptist Nixa, then you're already in a sense supporting the work that our family is doing and the other 3,699 families or individuals that are doing around the world. And in the next five years, it's our, it's our hope, it's our prayer that the IMB can send out 500 additional workers to some of the most unreached places throughout the globe. And so as you give to your church, uh, you're supporting that and making that reality, uh, making that vision become a reality. Not only that, um, if you've grown up in the Southern Baptist world, then you know that every Christmas we have what's known as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And what's distinct about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is 100% of anything that you give to Lottie Moon goes to support work on the field. Rest of the cooperative program, about 10 cents to 20 cents of every dollar goes to the IMB. So if you want to give uh, generously to the IMB, you'll be a part of supporting 3,700 families or units and, and being a part of sending 500 additional people out over the next five years. And so, again, we just want to pause and say thank you. We know that you guys are already actively doing those things. And we just want to encourage you to continue to do those things. And then there's the last application for us this morning. And that's the one that probably makes us the most uncomfortable. It's this idea of going, right? So you might be thinking, well, is this guy going to tell me I need to sell everything and move to Africa or to Mexico or to the Philippines? Well, not necessarily. I mean, that's not my job, right? But if the Holy Spirit is calling you to do that, then yes, then walk in obedience. But the reality is probably for most of us in this room, Going looks a little bit different, right? Going might look like crossing the street of your neighborhood, right? It might look like pursuing a coworker at your office or picking up the phone and calling 
a family member, somebody that you know doesn't know Jesus, and, and sharing the gospel with them, of building that relationship with them. Because again, if you are a saved one, then you are a sent one, right? You're sent to proclaim the excellencies of, of Christ. But maybe for some of you, you sense that the Lord is leading you, maybe stirring your heart this morning to, to go overseas somewhere. And if that's you, my wife and I, we would love to connect with you to talk about just the many different ways that that could become a reality. So in closing this morning, again, we've seen this importance of having vision and mission and keeping these things right before us, right? Because without a vision, the people perish, right? They're blown directionless in the wind. And maybe, just maybe there's somebody in the room today that feels like that. Maybe you feel like in your Christian life right now that you're, that you're just blowing around aimless, that you're being tossed to and fro by the waves. Like, what's, what's the point of all this, right? If so, it could be that the Holy Spirit is using the Word this morning to show you that you feel this way because maybe you've lost sight of the vision. Maybe, maybe you're not living on mission. You're not obeying Jesus' command to go and make disciples. And so in a moment, I just want to give us a couple of minutes just to respond, just to hear from the Lord. But maybe you're in the room this morning, you say, I so desire to be a part of making disciples, but I just don't even know where to start, right? I don't know what to do. Well, cry out to the Lord as well. Call on him. Talk to your pastors. Help let them know that you want to be a part, but you just need to be equipped. You need to be trained. So let's just take, as we close, let's just take, one or two minutes of silence. There's not going to be any music playing. There's not going to be anybody praying. But just everybody having an opportunity to just hear from the Lord. And specifically asking the Lord, how do you want me to respond this morning? How can I personally, how can you personally be a part of actively participating in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled by praying, giving, and going?